Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam, I'm the filthy one. My name's Jeremy, and I am the clean one. (laughs) We're here to discuss X-Men number 44, the May 1966 issue, Red Raven, Red Raven. Send Angel right over. What is that from? Red Raven, Red Raven, or Red Rover, Red Rover? Oh, either. <laughs> Childhood games. I don't know about Red Raven, Red Raven, but... Anyhow, maybe that was a 60s thing. But this one, as is the new trend in X-Men comics, is to have the X-Men in little font with a featuring the angel. The angel issue 44. (laughs) So there you go, folks. I don't know what's going on here in 1966 X-Men number 44, but apparently the actual X-Men name is not drawing an audience, so they have to go to characters' names. Got to be honest, like the angel doesn't really appear in Fantastic Four or Avengers or Spider-Man, so I can't imagine what more draw the angel can have over the X-Men. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I uh, I don't know. I guess maybe these are popular characters. Maybe they're in like Marvel 2-in-1 or something. I, or I, Marvel <laughs> Comics Presents Angel. Yeah, no. The, I'm, the I'm, Angel. I think you're giving somebody too much credit. Marvel Team-Up? Sure. Angel and Spider-Man? Strange Tales issues. featuring Angel. <laughs> Uh, no, so basically the cover features a red-winged character, who I could presume is the Red Raven, dive-bombing a apparently passed-out angel in the midst of some winged tube people. <laughs> That's the best that I can come up for a description of this cover. They all look the same, so I'm guessing they're clones. At first I thought, like, oh, this is the... This is the X-Men, and Magneto has captured them, and Red Raven is some magnetic mutant that Magneto put together, because, right, the last issue we left, uh, Magneto had conquered the X-Men, so that's what I was left to draw from this cover. Well, that's not the case. Well, picking up from there... (laughs) As we open the comic book and stop looking at the cover... Magneto is gloating over the X-Men, who he handily defeated last issue... By electrifying the floor, for those of you who don't remember or are first joining us. The toad is there dancing about, saying, Yes, master, yes, now you must slay them, master. Oh, yes, slay them, everyone. Since when did (laughs) toad get such a bloodlust in him? This is the murderous toad. You know what? I think what we have to blame the toad's dialogue on is Gary Frederick. You think he has a violent streak? I don't know, but uh, for a while, Roy Thomas has been authoring these issues. Well, he's out of the picture, or for the most part. Uh, And this issue was written by Gary Frederick, 
laid out by Don Heck and penciled by Werner Roth, which to, to my mind is like, look, Werner Roth is much better of an artist than Don Heck. Why would you bother following his lead by having him know. lay out the issue and then you drawing behind him? Maybe Don Heck is older. Who knows? Yeah, I think based on what I read about him, Don Heck is like a, um, he is definitely a senior in the comics scene in 1966. Uh, John Tartaglioni is the inker. Sam Rosen is the letterer. And as it does say here, this issue was not written by Roy Thomas, but it was plotted by Roy Thomas. Go, go Ray Thomas. Yes. Roy Thomas. So we've got Gary Frederick to blame for all of, well, whatever happens in this issue. Well, no, we Di- have Roy Thomas. Well, dialogue-wise, dialogue wise, yeah. yeah. So anyways, we'll have to keep our eyes open for any strange happenings. So anyways, uh, all of the X-Men are collapsed on the floor, and as I said, Toad is dancing about. Uh, Quicksilver stops Magneto, jumps in, says, ah, you, you don't want to... You don't want to kill these guys because you're the master of all mutants, and that would be really lowly. And Magneto's like, what? Yeah, and this is where we can see, like, I think there's been a pattern of basically whatever Toad says Magneto doesn't do. (laughs) In pretty much all of the issues we've read with Magneto so far. So Quicksilver's like, no, don't kill them. That's low and cold-blooded. And he's like, what? How dare you dispute me? I'm Magneto. I'll do as I please. And then Toad comes in, he's like, whoa, of course, Master, but heed his words. The X-Men are your enemies. You must kill them. You need to give me the signal, and I'll kill them. <laughs> and then Magni's like, no, Quicksilver's right. Toad, you're wrong. <laughs> he says that he must have time to savor the sweet nectar of defeat. Blah, blah, blah. Besides, after suffering a few crushing blow, uh, cr- so crushing a defeat, who knows? The accursed X-Men may even decide to join us. That's using your noggin. (laughs) Well, the professor is recently deceased, so the X-Men are vulnerable. They unquestioningly could be uh, most helpful to our cause, is what Magneto says. Magneto puts Quicksilver in charge of the X-Men because it was his idea to keep them alive. Quicksilver says, well, we better... Jail them then. Securely. Because I don't want to deal with it. <laughs> well, yeah. That's sound reasoning. Like, let's let's put them in some sort of secure prison, as long as we're going to keep them. And but then, have you noticed that Toad has been further looking more crazy throughout his iteration in, in the X-Men? Um, like, when he started out in the early X-Men comics, I don't know when his first appearance was, like, four or five or something like that. Like, he was a weird dude, but... Like, he looks batshit crazy <laughs> in this <laughs> issue. I mean, his hair and his mouth and he's wild-eyed with giant bushy eyebrows. Well, that would continue throughout the X-Men tenure. He gets weirder and weirder looking and different, and he never stops changing. Okay, he's the, he's the ever-changing Toad. He's not, like that, uh, he's not like the Darth Maul character that played him in X-Men. Yeah. <laughs> Although I think there probably was an iteration of him like that. Eh, probably. So anyways, yep, Magneto puts uh, Quicksilver in charge of the X-Men. Toad uh, goes one by one through the X-Men, showing how secure their bondage is. Uh, 
Uh, yeah. Magneto's got like a lead shield to cover his eyes, and uh, they disconnected his glove controls. Yeah, they made a very he made a big point about mentioning that. Oh, and he also remembered to have me disconnect Cyclops' glove controls, which we just learned about last issue. Right, but Magneto knew about them. Yeah, well, Magneto's he's clever. He Hip- could sense them. They were metallic oh, glove controls. Sure. Hypnomagnetic bands, which would prevent uh, Marvel Girl from using her telekinetic powers. But I got to point out, nothing in here would prevent her from using her newly found telepathic powers, right? Right. Okay. So she's still able to read minds, let's presume. Yeah. I don't know if she's going to do that, but she, she could. Beast's hands and feet are glued together. Angel is titanium handcuffs. Angel is put into an electrified cage, which could only emanate from Magneto's brain. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, Iceman is placed in a thermonuclear heat tube. Yep. That's pretty awesome. So, I mean, it really tells me that Magneto had no decisive plan about how he was going to handle the X-Men. Like, once he captured them, because, look, we've got all these contraptions for securing the X-Men, but there was a brief moment there when Magneto was like, I'm going to kill these guys. <laughs> I'm not going to bother with, you know, feeding them and keeping them hostage and doing whatever I'm going to I'm just going to kill them. But then Toad spoke up, and he's like, eh, you know, why don't you go secure them with my things, my toys? Yeah, that was, you know, he was under the influence of bloodlust Toad. Gotcha. Uh, yes, yes, in all the world, no one could defeat and hold captive the X-Men. Except for everybody else who's done it. <laughs> Except for the circus, <laughs> as we saw in issue three. So the X-Men are held captive. They uh, Apparently in those five frames when Toad was securing them, they were passed out, but now they're awake a couple minutes later. It says actually several minutes later. Yes, and Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are standing over them the mm. whole time. Waiting for them to wake up using spelling salts. And they're like, hey, I thought you guys were Avengers and good guys. Looks like you guys went back to join Magneto and Quicksilver. Quicksilver's all like, not exactly. And Scarlet Witch. Perhaps I can make our position more clear. Scarlet Witch's like, no, it's not what you think. And nobody ever really discusses what they think or what's really going on. And Quicksilver says... I'm upset about the humans. They're they make me mad. And Cyclops says something about Charlie Brown. <laughs> I wanna, I've heard that story before from a guy named Charlie Brown. I want to point out here that I've seen a lot of Charlie Brown specials, and in no episode did Charlie Brown come out and say, "We have decided our only cause is that of our own race, the race of Homo Superior." Charlie yeah. Brown never said that. You didn't see the mutant special? <laughs> uh, good grief, Charlie Brown. We're just mutants. No, I didn't see <laughs> I didn't see that episode. Um, so that joke falls flat from Cyclops, in my opinion. I don't And even, it also causes Quicksilver to leave. I don't even think that was funny in nineteen sixty six, to be honest. <laughs> Come, my sister, there is nothing to be gained by talking with these pig headed teenagers. Next I'll be dropping Archie references. <laughs> 
Uh, and then Toad decides that he needs to report to Magneto. Master, master, Quicksilver and the X-Men are arguing, fighting. I fear it can only come to ill for us. But Perhaps you're right. Perhaps I should have destroyed the X-Men. Yeah, good thinking. You know, so this is where I'm wondering, like, every pose you see of uh, the Toad and Magneto in the comics is usually, like, Toad, like, telling on somebody. Right. <laughs> and Magneto fist-pumping. I just wonder if... <laughs> Ever there's a time when they're just kind of sitting around the dinner table, just off, like, Toad, do you like card tricks? Oh, <laughs> you know, like, just they're just like totally off, like not talking about world domination or the X Men or anything like that. Toad drops his like uh, his accent, and he's like, "Actually, I'm a I'm not a big fan of card tricks. I am I'm much. More t- a, uh, I'm I- more of a finger trap type of guy." I uh, graduated with honors from Harvard, actually, and have a physics degree and could help you with some of your scientific experiments. Oh, wait, here come the X-Men. Oh, oh, they're fighting with Quicksilver again. (laughs) I just wonder, you know, we never get that. (laughs) pump. Oh, I'm angry. We just never get that scene of them just hanging out, you know. I mean, you have to assume that they're in this fortress. They've got to eat dinner at some point. The conversation can't always just be about the accursed X-Men. There's got to be more to them, right? Like, do they talk about, like, the, the you know, political ramifications of their time and, like, the president and, and different uh, uh, foreign policy decisions that have been made, those types of things? I think it goes something like this. Master, how was your day? Silence, fool. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So anyways, uh, Angel is uh, in his little electrified birdcage, and he's like, oh, one of us has got to break free. Hope it can be and me. He, and hey, there's a lightsaber nearby. <laughs> he doesn't say lightsaber. He says <laughs> it looks like a fancy light, a flashlight. Right. <laughs> and he grabs it, and it does actually contain the powers of a lightsaber, in which it has a cutting laser mechanism that is able to disintegrate the bars. Now, who left this here? <laughs> well, so I, as I was reading the issue, uh, Angel is escaped. He's like, oh, I'm free. It's like an answer to my prayers. Cyclops is like, wait, wait, this has been way too easy. It must be some kind of a trap. So I'm on board. I'm like, okay, Magneto planted this there so Angel can do that, and then Angel can break his wings off and kill him for being disloyal or something like that. (laughs) But then they never go back to this, like, why this lightsaber actually was near the cage. Yeah, I think somebody just left it there. Uh, So then Cyclops is like, well, even if it is a trap, we must take advantage of it. So take off, Birdman. (laughs) <laughs> head for the Avengers HQ. If they can't help us, nobody can. So two things there. Cyclops has never referred to Angel as Birdman. And really? this, I thought he had. I don't think so. Maybe I'm wrong. I actually, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I've heard Birdman before. Well, I'm sure we've heard Birdman before, but it just seems kind of out of character for Cyclops. Like maybe Beast or Iceman said it. Maybe. Okay, but anyways, and secondly, he has never said, go find another team to help us. Well, he has now. <laughs> okay, so there's a first for everything, so. They're I, totally trapped, man. He's like, go yeah. find the Fantastic Four, but, you know, the Avengers came up first. Find somebody. So, but go I do find anybody. I do want to point out, though, I want to say this again, because I think it might be important that Cyclops says... Head for Avengers HQ. 
I know where you're going with this. <laughs> okay. Anyhow, <laughs> moving on. Angel tries to get out the window and then realizes he can't fit out the window because of his wings. Then uh, as he turns around to fly out some sort of chimney thing, there's Magneto and Toter in the room. And Quicksilver. And Quicksilver. Oh, yeah. I didn't even notice Quicksilver. So this is where you think, like, oh, the, the trap is sprung. He couldn't. He, he was able to free himself with his lightsaber. He went to the window, couldn't get out. Now he's flying directly towards Magneto and the Toad, and Magneto will spring his trap. Right. They're toying with him. It's got to be. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. Angel just flies right on past him, and Magneto's like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. Quicksilver, go get him. Prove your allegiance to me. Apprehend the X-Men known as Angel. Quickly! Seems like a lot of dialogue for get him. Maybe Quicksilver left it, and we'll find out that later. Or maybe Scarlet Witch left it. In this issue? Will we find it out in this issue? No. (laughs) Oh, okay, okay. So this this may be something we might have to hold on to for another issue. Right. Anyhow, Quicksilver says, uh, As you wish, it should be no problem since I recently gained the power of flight. Which apparently uh, happened in Avengers. Uh, Avengers number question mark, question mark, exclamation mark. Oh, it does say that. <laughs> I saw the star and I saw it as previously portrayed in Avengers and I just stopped reading because I thought, wow, this is so cheap. But it literally <laughs> says Avengers question mark, question mark. Yeah. That's lame. So anyways, apparently Quicksilver can fly. But only for a couple of seconds. Yeah. At least that's, I guess, somewhat realistic. So, I mean, Angel does some barrel rolls and some loop-de-loops, and Quicksilver's like, ah, geez, he's much more skilled at flying and acrobatics than I am. I got to land here. So, It basically Angel- seems like he's using the momentum of running really fast to jump off the ground and kind of run through the air. I could buy that. I mean, in a world where mutants exist, I could buy that. But when they start selling it as like, oh, I've gained the power of flight that has a completely different connotation than like I can like jump in the air and kind of use momentum to propel me very far. That's different. It's way different. That's the only thing that makes sense, though, just because he can only do it for a couple of seconds and yeah. even mentions momentum in the, the final panel. Yeah. I must return to the ground while I have enough momentum remaining to permit me a soft landing. I blame Gary Frederick for that dialogue. Okay. All right. <laughs> so he uh, he says, I have failed, but somehow I cannot regret it. Hmm. Maybe this is a mistake. Gary Frederick just kind of like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll just give him flight. That's cool. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and Stan Lee is sitting there editing the comic book. He's like, yeah, we'll put this in a future Avengers. Let's just, just put a couple question marks there. It'll be cool. Don't worry about it. Looks like he's flying there. I'll just say he's got flight. That's cool. <laughs> All right. So then uh, Angel discovers that he has escaped and uh, he's flying through kind of a storm here. And uh, he's kind of thinking to himself, like, even after that unquestionable proof that Quicksilver has joined Magneto, I still can't believe he'd desert the... That's it! That's who I can ask for help! I'll return to New York and go directly to Avengers headquarters if they can't aid us. 
He's a very forgetful guy. <laughs> like Cyclops, seven minutes ago, told him to go to the Avengers HQ and get help from them. He got spooked by Quicksilver. Or maybe he's one of those guys that needs to think that every idea is his own. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, the Avengers. I Oh, why didn't I think about this sooner? I should go get them for some help. All right, so he's he's flying through. There's a lot of dialogue and thought here, and a lot of storm clouds and such. But bottom, and now line, we enter. Well, now we enter our B story. Well, but, remember from dusk till dawn. <laughs> yeah, how the first part was really cool, and then all of a sudden crazy stuff happened, and then you're in <laughs> like to the crazy story. stuff. <laughs> yeah, except this is a lot less entertaining than uh, from dusk till dawn. Disagree. Ah. From Dust Till Dawn was a fantastic movie. A story and B story. Well, okay. The, all right. From <laughs> Dust Till Dawn, it was better than this issue. I'll give you that. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, as Angel gets very tired, he finds a rock to rest on just for a few minutes. Um, everything that Professor X lived for depends on it, and he mustn't fail. For if he dies here, then the rest of the X-Men will perish at the hands of Magneto, and he can't let that happen. He can't. And then the rock that he's on grows up out of the water and turns into a gigantic fortress. A new island is born. Right. At which point I said, Krakoa! <laughs> but then I turned the page. I was like, "No, that that's not right. <laughs> that can't be. It's way too early for that." What is this Krakoa you speak of? <laughs> I don't know. Some word I just invented. Uh, A huge middle door on the side of the uh, island opens. Well, let me ask you this: before we get too far into this, in in a world where we've defined a story as having a beginning, middle, and an end, is this the be- is this the middle? Or is this the beginning of the middle? This is the beginning of, well, I don't know, because the beginning was last issue. So this is the beginning of the, the B story. Look, it's, is that allowed? Hey, why not? <laughs> they did it. <laughs> uh, okay, I just feel like this is breaking some sort of rule. But anyways... It's- it's crazy! It's the 60s, man! Anything goes! You want some reefer? <laughs> all right so yeah the island grows out of nowhere angels is like ah, oh, this is amazing it's uh huge. why don't we have angel so he's like going to the avengers right and I... then he bumps into fantasy island that's I'm, cool <laughs> i'm with you baby and it just grows out of the ocean can you imagine an island growing out of the ocean yeah dude <laughs> take some <laughs> t- take some of this quick hit it Hit it. So anyways, yeah. uh, <laughs> Angel is like, well, there's a big metal door down there. Must be uh, an entrance to some sort of cave. Uh, even though I'm kind of on a time crunch here and my friends might die any minute at the hands of my arch nemesis, I'm going to go check it out. I'm going to go check it out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. I'm 19. I got wings. I'm a playboy. I got money. Let's go check this out. So he goes in and he has a couple of, uh, you know, questions as to he, he enters this world, which is like some sort of scientific super machine complex area. 
filled with uh, various computers and machines and um, looks like a lot of rails. And everything is circular. Everything's bright and shiny. There's a lot of lights. The floor is green and red and yellow. Angel speculates that maybe it's Hydra's island complex that Nick Fury thought he destroyed a few months ago. Why does he doubt Nick Fury? It seems like an odd bit of dialogue to put in the comic <laughs> book here. How is he even aware of super secret agent Nick Fury of Shield? Was he yeah. in that was he in that issue? Well, the X-Men must be good friends of Shield cuz he then says, "If it is, I'd better get a closer look so I can notify Shield before" Dot, dot, dot. Oh, you will notify no one, Earthling, unless you would first defeat Red Raven. So Red Raven, uh, this guy dressed in red, as we saw in the cover, with some red wings, very devilish, if you ask me, mm-hmm. comes swinging down to attack Angel. He's got some yellow stripes. He's got yellow stripes. Like racing stripes, basically. So you know yeah, he's fast. It's like a cross between... Um, the Devil and Flash. Ah, uh, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, somebody smacks somebody. I think Angel... No, I think Red Raven smacks Angel. I'm not really sure, but... Oops, somebody says crack. But he says, Fool, perhaps I can teach you the folly of challenging the supreme race of Birdmen. Dun, dun, dun. At which point I lose complete and utter interest in this issue. <laughs> because I know, I think I know a good deal of Marvel lore and history, and I don't remember anything about a race of birdmen. Oh, but you will, you will, you will begin to learn. Okay, please educate me. The first thing I noticed about these pages is that this one has four panels and the next one has three panels. And I'm liking that. <laughs> Things move fast. <laughs> yes, the rest of the story does go pretty quickly. So uh, they have a fight. They're grabbing onto each other's wings, and they're throwing each other back and forth and each way. And Red Raven keeps talking about how his people are not of the nature to kill, but he needs to protect the secrecy of their existence. And Angel's just kind of like, man... Stop attacking me. (laughs) (laughs) Could we just have a quick dialogue here? Red Raven's got some sort of gun, and uh, Angel knocks it out of his hand. My question is, why isn't Red Raven like, hey, man with the yellow uniform with wings, you're kind of like me. Are you (laughs) like me? Are you a birdman? Because I'm a birdman. It's like, no, he knows he's not a bird man because that would be. So my question is, why why is an angel like doing that? Wow, there's a race of birdmen. Maybe I'm not a mutant. Oh yeah, maybe I'm derived from these birdmen people. Somebody, somebody should be saying something other than I'm going to punch you. So we move so, on, and and they continue to be punching each other. Angel starts to win, and that's when Red Raven says, wait, 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 wait. Um, let's talk. <laughs> yes. Before the battle continues, I ask that you hear me. And then Angel is like, you jokers are all alike. The minute things go against you, you're suddenly ready to go to the conference table. And so they go to the conference table. Yep, they have a quick seat, they have a cup of coffee, uh, you know, share some treats, talk about their lives. 
you like Triscuits? Because <laughs> I've got a good Triscuit here with a brie, <laughs> a light brie that you can smear on the top. Mmm, that's nice. Uh, he uh, So Red Raven says, I meant you no harm, even though Red Raven was the one that, who came flying out of nowhere and punching Angel. <laughs> But he could he could not afford for the secret of his people to be discovered. All right. right. Okay. So we have some unknown race of either aliens or ancient civilization on Earth or something. And uh, Angel... Which, you know what happens? The lost race of birdmen. Yeah. Angel either uh, pushed a button to activate the island or it was just some crazy coincidence that this was the anniversary of something. Can't tell you which it is yet, but it was one of those two. Um, so Red Raven begins to tell the story of the lost race known to him alone and among all living races. Yes. Um, he he himself is a human, mm. and uh, a plane crashed into Birdland, where the bird people were. Yes. Existed in an island in the sky. Yeah. And uh, they took the boy for their own. And 21 years later, he realized that he wasn't like them. <laughs> well, King Birdman was like, look, I don't think you should keep that human boy. But the parent, the, the uh, adopted parents were like, hey, he's just a kid. We can raise him as one of our own. And the king's all like, well, fine. But but look how neat he is. We throw him and he not fly. <laughs> uh, you will be ever responsible for his actions and of course he's the guy that leads the revolution or something like that and he says today i'm a man but i realize i'm not one of you yeah <laughs> took him 21 years to figure that out well look if i I'm... just realized i don't have wings holy shit <laughs> yeah well if i'm among like an if i'm an adopted person among a race of people who are sworn to kill the people that i came from i'm probably not going to be like hey 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 i'm one of them and if you want to get to them you got to go through me because chances are they're going to rip me apart like so much newspaper and then take my people down i'm going to be on the lines like yeah you get those humans Ooh, dirty humans. So for some odd reason, the birdmen have it out for the human race. They want to kill them. Don't I know. guess because they're different. Yeah, I don't know why. And of course, so this birdman guy, whatever his name, Red Raven, is trying to be like, hey, come on, they're not so bad. I'm like them. Yeah, I'm a human. You raised me, and that's cool. I just realized I'm not a birdman. Don't don't have the wings. <laughs> Look, looked back there and noticed. <laughs> Yeah, it took me a while, you know. Thought they would grow in, you know, once I hit puberty, but uh, they didn't. Thought I was a late bloomer. Just realized I can't fly. <laughs> <laughs> tried, though. Tried many times. Got a lot of bruises. Skin knees. So anyways, yeah. uh, Angel's like, that's ah, a great story, but it doesn't really explain what you're doing here now. And uh, Red Raven's like, ah, slow down, Angel. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. <laughs> that's it's this weird abrupt moment where like Angel interrupts him and and Red Raven's like, shut up. I'm talking. <laughs> Look, I need to give you a little bit of backstory so you understand the the whole thing. Chop to the point. Come on. <laughs> yeah, don't bury the lead. Let's get to it. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Jeez. So Red Raven says, oh, the Citizens Council had turned me down. So I went to the leader. And uh, 
He said, I'm going to tell you that attacking the earth would be a folly and it could only lead to the destruction of our race. But even he, the leader of the Birdmen, would not hear the Red Raven out. Because I guess there's like a handful of Birdmen and then there's a huge human race. Think about this. Like, you know, we're we're all earthlings, right, for the most part. And you, Adam, are the guy that, that for some reason is aware of ill happenings. And you want to make sure that the leaders of this planet are aware of these ill happenings so that you can prevent the downfall of humanity. How easy would it for, be for you to get an audience with the world leaders to give them your knowledge? Well, see, so you have to understand, there's only like 50 birdmen. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, in that scenario, it would probably be pretty easy. I need a president. I need a, an appointment with the president of the Birdmen. Oh yeah, yeah, he's, he's available. Why do you? Why are you even asking? Just go in. He'll buy you lunch. <laughs> <laughs> he he really has not much to do. <laughs> oh, friend. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Red Raven goes in, and the leader of the Birdmen. Apparently, all of them are shirtless and pantless, uh, except for Red Raven. Everybody else wears a tunic or just underwear. Ever since Red Raven turned 21, he started dressing up in a uh, Birdman outfit. Or no, it's not even Birdman. There are no wings. He's He's got a, just a red and yellow outfit that he wears. Yeah, the king's like, you know what? I would trust and believe the things you're saying, but you're wearing way too many clothes. <laughs> How about you take that shirt off and we'll talk a little bit more? Red Raven's <laughs> like, dude, come on. That ain't cool. Don't know what you're talking about. Uh, anyways, uh, so um, Red Raven's like, but you, you got to understand that the Earthlings, as he refers to them. So if he's calling us Earthlings, that would infer that they are not from Earth. Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay. Well, anyways, he says, you realize the Earthlings outnumber us and that they could easily crush our invading forces. And the king doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't care. He's like, yeah, well, then we will die with honor, and it'll be amazing, and I'm bloodthirsty. And He's like, we, he's like, hey, how many of them you see with wings? How many <laughs> you see of us with wings? We got an advantage. We fly. All right. right. Red, but Red Raven's got some loyalty to his people, so he's like, ah, jeez, you know, I, I, as much as I despise those dirty, dirty earthlings, I can't let Red Raven... I mean, I can't let the king go out there because my people will be slaughtered. So he gasses them all. Uh, He uses some uh, suspended animation gas that causes all of the people to uh, fall asleep into kind of a temporary several year sleep. And then he places them in special chambers, which would keep them alive, but totally inactive. It's like a um, it's like a tube of winged men, just like the cover of our comic book. Here's the problem with this. Yes, um, it's called atrophy. <laughs> well, yeah, these guys are gonna come out of these tubes and be like, "I can't walk." <laughs> yeah. Oh, my knees! I can't fly! I can't do anything. Well, that's a special type of gas which suspends the muscles too, so that everything, it's like, well, like Han Solo. I mean, he was only atrophied for like 10 minutes and then then blind, but otherwise he was fine. Right? Right, right. Okay, so it's like like that. But he was frozen in carbonite. I mean, it's just different. It's different. This is carbonite gas, okay? 
All right, I can buy that. <laughs> uh, and at this point, he must have manufactured some wings because now he has a pair of wings on him. Yep. <laughs> We, There's one guy that he left behind and chopped off his wing. <laughs> so we get plenty of story about like how he gassed these people and how we didn't want to kill all of the earthlings or have the earthlings kill his people or whatever. No story on where he got the wings from. He just just found them and put them on. He doesn't want to tell a angel about uh, uh, Jerry. <laughs> the guy that's in the closet right now who's got his wings <laughs> severed and bleeding to death. Poor wingless guy. Uh, My wings... My wings, you chopped off my wings. So apparently Red Raven was also able to locate the button that would descend their island into the ocean so right. that they could rest. I don't know. There's a and lot then, of story here that just doesn't press the button which separated our military complex from the remainder of our continent in the sky, which in turn activated a device which dropped the isolated island into a safe place where it would never be discovered. I wonder... They placed thousands of fathoms beneath the Earth's oceans where the legions would rest until a day, 20 years later, when they would be automatically awakened. And now, my friend, that moment is upon us. So apparently Angel, on his way from Magneto's Island to Avengers HQ, happened to stumble upon the very rock that was the tip of the island that was to awaken 20 years ago today. My question yeah. is, do you think the United States has a button like this? Just one button that we can press that all of a sudden the entire United States will like sink into the ocean for like... Just military complex. Oh. All the military will separate and go under the ocean. Where do the citizens go? Um, This doesn't actually talk about the citizens at all, does it? Into the carbonite? I think he killed all the citizens (laughs) and just saved the military. Let me see. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven soldiers. Well, come so on. If there's he, only if there's only fifty birdmen and eleven soldiers, I mean that's that's like one fifth of the population. Plus the king. Oh, okay. So he he killed like thirty eight birdmen. <laughs> that's almost a genocide. The gas was not quite uh, what what the uh, the sales tag said. Oh gosh. Oh my god. This, this guy's dead. Oh, this this guy's also dead. <laughs> so uh, the island is now ascending, and uh, Angel's like, I, I don't know what Angel's. Angel's just kind of listening to this story, and Red Raven's like, I've been waiting all of these years for these men to awaken, and now that time is upon us, and... I gotta press the button again. <laughs> Somebody's gotta push this button, and I think it's gotta be me. And Angel's all like, "No, I've got a moral obligation to save people, and you can't just condemn them to oblivion. It's too important. We could think what men might learn from studying your people, which we all know is code for cutting them apart and looking at their organs." Right, as <laughs> Red Raven knows perfectly well, mm. having done some of this himself <laughs> believe me i've cut up plenty of those birdmen there's nothing that you can learn from them <laughs> they're hideous inside just hideous he and had... then the angel says get serious what harm can a couple of hundred oh so there are a couple of hundred birdmen due to the armed forces of the united states so there's 200 of them okay we saved 11 of them and the other uh what 89 are dead Yep. Okay. <laughs> hmm, perhaps you're right. Perhaps if I allow them to wake, 
says Red Raven, but then he changes his mind and says, nope, can't do it, and he shoots Angel. <laughs> Sorry. You shoot. must forgive me, but I gotta shoot you. First he shoots him with, a, like, this gun that turns him unconscious. Then he, then he, I don't know, presses a button on the gun and it becomes an anti-gravity gun that allows Angel to float. Yeah. And then he throws him out into the ocean, I guess. Well, he'll float while the island that you lie on sinks back into the ocean's ebony depths. It's very poetic. Zack! Not very poetic. <laughs> and uh, while the island is descending back into the ocean, the Red Raven punches up some more buttons and says... Well, 20 years more sleep, and then we'll come back again, and we'll see what happens. And he gets himself into a tube. And... Maybe in 20 years I'll be able to set them free because they're, they will pose absolutely no threat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Once more, the blood of my blood, the flesh of my flesh is saved from an invasion more terrible than they could ever imagine. I doubt that. But anyways, so the island sinks. Who is this guy to decide all of this? <laughs> I don't know. He, he, yeah. he's, got, he, he's, he's got a worse god complex than Magneto does. This, this guy, is. it just goes to show you, when humans get involved in anything, it turns to crap. So the island descends, uh, Angel apparently on his uh, anti-gravity floating beam or whatever it was, is able to maintain... It's like he's on a life raft. He's on a rock, but... No, no, it's a life raft. Look at the look at the second to last panel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. He is on a life raft. Well, so apparently that's what that gun did, was it just inflated a, a life raft for him. <laughs> oh, I'm safe. So uh, somehow he has a feeling that he will meet the, meet the Red Raven again, and he will have a chance to thank him for sparing him. But he'll have to brood over that later, because right now he's got a mission to complete for the X-Men. Yay! And off he flies to reach the Avengers and bring them to his comrades. And <laughs> next issue, folks, Cyclops versus Quicksilver. Ooh, that sounds exciting. Worst, totally random issue. <laughs> worst X-Men story yet. No way. This is like, this is, this is just random weirdness. It's uh, genius. <laughs> genius, I tell you. I'm going to disagree with that statement. This was just terrible. This was like, we got to continue this Magneto thing and we got to make it last for a little bit. And I got an idea of what we can do with it, but I need a little time. So could you just throw something in there, Gary Frederick? And Gary Frederick's like, you know what? I've always wanted to tell the story about an underwater Birdman society. Can I do that, Stan? And Stan's like, go for it, kid. It's going to be genius. And it was. <laughs> and we get this story. I'm sure we'll hear much more from the Red Raven as the weeks and months continue. Oh, he's back next issue. I... It starts with 20 years later. <laughs> the rebirth of Red Raven. Angel's joined the Avengers, totally forgot about the X-Men, because he's forgetful. He forgot Cyclops told him to go see the Avengers. <laughs> he forgets about the X-Men once he gets to the Avengers. Meanwhile, Cyclops, Marvel Girl, Beast are all sitting there in Magneto's Island being like, come on, we've been here for 20 years. We're hungry. We're, 
thirsty. They ate beast. <laughs> he was tasty, but I feel so bad. <laughs> All right, well, that was a short one. 15 pages of Birdman... Genius. I disagree, but anyways... That must mean we have an origins tale to tell. The origins of the uncanny X-Men. Aha. Uh-huh. As promised two issues ago, this is the origin of Iceman, entitled The Iceman Cometh. Is this the first time we've heard, uh, we've had mention of the uncanny X-Men? No. We we the the mention of the uncanny X Men goes back to like X Men number three or four. Yeah, I know they they use the word uncanny all the time, but I don't think they've ever used it as uncanny X Men. Oh, yeah, that could be. Folks, if you're listening and if you've been paying more attention than us, please let us know. Is this <laughs> the first mention of quote unquote the uncanny? It's not X-Men. hard to do paying more attention than us. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so here we go. Uh, the Iceman Cometh. This one is produced by Stan Lee, written by Gary Frederick. What the hell? It's <laughs> like he's taken over the whole thing. Uh, drawn, this, is the, this issue is brought to you by Gary Frederick. Drawn by George Tuska. Oh. <laughs> inked by John Vorporton, but at least it's lettered by Artie Simic, so at least it'll be legible. <laughs> it may be unintelligible and ugly, but at least we'll be able to read the words. Yay! So, Iceman is in it's it's oh it's this is a very rare thing that you see in comic books, uh, an actual numeric date. Usually, it says like a couple weeks from now or a couple of months ago or whatever. But this specifically says it is a cool fall night in 1963. So if you if you, you use this, you cannot take this back. So if you take this and you and you move it forward, that means that Iceman is like sixty. Well, that depends on what year it is now. Well, actually, fifty. It's because we we don't know what year it is now. I find it's forty nine. That's what's twenty twelve now. Well, no is is it twenty twelve in the X Men universe though? That's a good question. Um. I always like to. I've found those issues. In fact, when we get there, I'll, I'll point it out if I can remember. But there's there's an issue of um, Chris Claremont's Uncanny X Men where there's a big splash page and it's like uh, New York 1970 and it's like all disco-y and stuff. But it specifically says 1970. So that's like mm-hmm. another trace point where you're like that's a year. And then as you move forward, there's another issue which we'll talk about. I'm sure it's Avengers Annual 10. Uh, which features some prominent characters. But in there, there's a scene of Colossus meeting uh, Ronald Reagan. So if you also use that, you can say that that occurred during 1980 to 1988, right? So, I mean, you you can use this. So in current continuity, I don't know, is, is Barack Obama mentioned? Is I, There was an issue of Ultimates where they mentioned, like, uh, 9-11, but that's in a different universe. Um, I thought, didn't Barack Obama appear in a bunch of Spider-Man covers he or something? did, because Barack Obama's a huge Spider-Man fan. So, there you go. Then that definitely dates it within the last, you know, you know, 2008 to 2012 time frame. However, they live in a different universe where time works differently. No, Iceman is, Iceman is, it's been 49 years since Iceman was 17. <laughs> so he's like... 
but they age differently. So 49 years doesn't, you know, for every five years that we go by, an X-Men ages half a year. Oh, Marvel Universe is like dog years, man. You just divide by seven. 49 years. It's only like seven, man. It's only like seven years has been. Yep. All right, fine. Anyways, that's enough nitpicking on that subject. That's Uh, why dogs love this mag. It's Nassau County, which I'm not really sure where that is. Probably New York. I don't know. Okay. And uh, he's with his gal, uh, and his gal is, I don't what's her name? Judy. Judy. His gal is Judy, and they have just seen West Side Story, and uh, they're coming home talking about how wonderful it was. Apparently, Natalie Wood was in that production of uh, West Side Story, so I'm guessing it was in New York, right? Natalie Wood wouldn't appear in, like, Nassau County, Illinois, would she? I, um, maybe. Okay, well, <laughs> it shows how geographically challenged we are. Anyhow, they're walking down the street, and they're talking about, like, oh, I love you. And actually, nobody says I love you, but they're like, you're the best person I've ever been, and, and in the whole world, you're the only one who really matters to me. And Judy's all like, oh, Bobby, are you trying to say you're in love with me? And then, out of nowhere, Bobby turns into a werewolf, chases Judy through the park, and then suddenly there's a whole bunch of zombies and they do choreographed dance. It's amazing. And then they all chase Judy into this little house and it turns out Bobby's got cat eyes. Ah! The best part of it is, is Vincent Price does this amazing laugh at the end. Oh, it's, it's just genius. Unfortunately, it's, it's, not, it's not that cool. Some teenage guy who's got really gray hair. Uh, and is very fat, jumps out and is like, hey, look, there's Bobby. Guys, get him. We're going to have us some kicks. Look at this blonde kid, though. I mean, he he jumps through the air. He must be jumping out of a tree. That's an amazing, like, he is parallel to the ground, his entire body. That's impressive. I've had disputes with people in my life, but never in my life have I had a dispute where somebody has grabbed me by my legs and another guy has flown in the air like this blonde-haired dude is to knock me over. I mean, this is commitment to, like, getting Bobby. This blonde-haired kid must be a mutant. He can fly. I'm with you. It's the only explanation. So they attack Bobby and... And uh, uh, Bobby's all like, Rocky Beasley, I should have guessed. And all of a sudden, Archie and Jughead and Reggie come out, and they're <laughs> like, you stay out of uh, Springdale, wherever they're from. Uh, no. Uh, Rocky's got gray hair, which it's like, why does Rocky even know Bobby? Because Bobby's like 16 here. Well, it's blue hair. Oh, okay. <laughs> which I guess is means that it's black hair. Okay, fine. And he's like, stop. I don't. What what is his goal here? He just doesn't want him hanging around Judy or something. Yeah, basically the whole thing was a ploy so that Judy would see that Rock was a really tough guy and would rather date him than. So this is this this is the same problem he's got with um, Vera. No, not Vera. Um, who's the girl he's dating with in current continuity time? Um, starts with a Z. Zelda. Zelda. Remember, because <laughs> Zelda had that big boyfriend who was like, ooh, get away from my Zelda. Right? Yeah, she, she turned me down for a date once. And now I'm angry and I'm going to beat you up, Bobby Drake. Okay. So, yeah, for some reason, Bobby Drake... That was the mimic. Well, that happened, too. So he's she, Zelda has had two boyfriends that have been... Well, 
Anyways, so Bobby Drake attracts the girls that have boy issues. That's <laughs> <laughs> all I can uh, get from this. But anyways, so they're all beating him up, and like this, this other blonde-haired guy, presumably the guy that tackled Bobby's, like, "Hey, baby, uh, we're gonna we're gonna take care of that punk and beat him up." And he and he. This is really confusing because, okay, there's three guys here. The blue black-haired guy says, "Hey, Rock, don't that sound like an insult? You reckon this punk wants to fight?" Then later, the brown-haired guy says, but on second thought, it don't make no difference because we just came to get Rock's gal. Therefore, Rock is the blonde guy who is flying through the air. But if you turn back, the brown-haired guy said, after all the ideas, this thing is for me to show Miss Harmon just who the real man is around here. So you would think that he's he's Rock. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think maybe they're all rock, and this is like multiple man. I didn't even you. You read way more into this this particular five uh, page spread than I did because I was confused. I thought Rocky Beasley was the gray haired guy or the blue haired guy. I should say. Well, you barely even read this then. <laughs> Clearly, but yeah, you're right. Now, upon reviewing the dialogue, all of them seem like they could plausibly be Rocky. I was so confused. <laughs> um, okay, so anyways, uh, the blonde-haired guy... And you know what? Their hair colors change because the blonde-haired guy starts dragging Judy away, and now his hair is brown. You're right. He kind of looks like Duke from um, G.I. Joe in the third panel there. Because oh he's, well, he's, he, he's got the blonde hair and the green outfit there. Yeah, but Duke is slim and trim and muscular. This guy's just kind of like bulky okay like a doofy duke but anyways <laughs> uh in the next panel you're absolutely correct his hair color changes from blonde to brown and he's taking judy away and judy's like help me and and bobby's like well i can't judy those guys would pulverize me unless no i mustn't use my mutant powers i just can't but i don't have any choice i'll have to risk it so to me this isn't really a real origin in my idea, a real origin is kind of like, kind of like the Cyclops story where you actually like discover, like the whole discovery process of your power, which could have been the same stressful situation of like, you no, know, like do you remember in um, the first X Men movie where Magneto is in the concentration camp and they're pulling him away from his parents and he's reaching out, he's like, oh, and then all of a sudden the fences start moving back and forth, like mm-hmm. that's an origin because like. Young Magneto doesn't know what he's doing. He's just reaching out for his parents, and and his powers latch onto the fence, and he gets not. That's an origin to me. This is like, hey, I'm a mutant. I got these powers. I probably shouldn't use them, but meh, Judy's in trouble. I'm gonna use them. See, I want to know world, about. I want to know about like when Bobby was like, oh my gosh, I just froze that guy, and he's dead. Boy, do I feel bad. <laughs> that's the story I want to hear. In uh, superhero stories, I've always had a problem with the word origin because origin in superhero stories is, you know, how they got their powers. But mutants, therefore, don't have origin stories because they were born with their powers and they just uh, manifest themselves when they turn into teenagers. Well, either when they turn into teenagers or when they encounter stressful situations. So if you look at certain eras of mutant chronology there could exist a mutant 
whose power never manifests itself because they've never really experienced like a stressful situation or they've never had like an, uh, an abrupt abrasive puberty. That sounds kind of dirty, but, but you know what I'm <laughs> saying? Like that, that combination could exist. Whereas if you take that same person and you put them into a, a stressful situation, they may become the next Magneto. Like that was always kind of like a cool aspect of mutants. And when I look at the origin of mutants, it's more of like, what were the conditions upon how you figured out and how you, what were the situations that led to you coming across your mutant powers? Which makes sense with Magneto. Like um, Magneto origin is more about how he became a master villain than how he got his mutant powers and mutant powers obviously plays into it a great deal right well that scene in x-men explains kind of both like he was a he was a victim but he was also going through puberty and he had all these things going on so the development of his powers and then also the development of why he's the way he is well and, by that definition then this is bobby drake's origin story nah man i want to see the day that bobby like first froze somebody and him being like oh my god i probably shouldn't do this anymore well let's pretend he's never frozen anybody before but it says freezes (laughs) no he says but i mustn't use my mutant powers which means at some point before he discovered that he had well yeah he's used his mutant powers but he never froze anybody before fine so he freezes i guess we'll say rocky i don't know it's got to be rock sure they all have brown hair at this point. Yeah, actually the gray-haired guy or black-haired guy, uh, he has had brown hair for the last three panels. And the other guy who may or may not have been blonde has brown hair. They all have brown hair. You're right. And all their shirts are changing color. Oh, it's so confusing. It's pretty bad. So uh, he's like, what? In He covered rock with snow. But if you look at the panel, he clearly looks like he's frozen in a lump of ice. Right. And Judy... Well, Judy's like a combination of snow and ice. And Judy screams. The other guys run away, and then Judy's all like, You froze Rocky stiff like you had some magical power. It was the most frightening thing I've ever seen. I never want to see you again. <laughs> You're too dangerous. <laughs> So this, I mean, so then we kind of just go to Bobby who's like, oh man, my parents were right. I should never have real, revealed my powers. So there again, that's the origin I want to see is like Bobby accidentally freezes the family pet and has to go to his parents and be like, mom, dad, um, I'm growing hair in funny places and I just froze the cat. Is this normal? Son? What I want to know is his girlfriend just said, I never want to see you again. And he doesn't react to that at all. Well, he does. He says, but Judy, I did it to save you. Those thugs yeah. were and going to Judy. Yeah. Well, okay. So meanwhile. I mean, he's got a lot going on, so I can give him a break. But you'd think he'd at least, like, be a little upset. Meanwhile, what happened to Rocky? Is he still frozen in a big lump of ice? Yeah, to this day. <laughs> I mean, did the paramedics come and be like, ooh, he's dead. Well, this is the problem with all of Iceman's freezing of human beings. How how do they how do they get out of that? Mr. Drake, not only is he frozen solid, but even if his head wasn't frozen, he can't breathe in there. <laughs> He's dead. You just murdered a man. Pretty much. What? Iceman's a murderer. That's right. The Bobby Drake froze young Beasley solid with some sort of mutant powers. Anyone with that kind of black magic disposal must be must be destroyed. 
I tell you, Martha, we can't risk this happening again. That boy has to be locked up. So basically, this is the townspeople and the gossip circle spreading, and uh, I soon I imagine pitchforks and torches will be uh, forthcoming. So Bobby runs back home and uh, runs into mom and dad. Mom and dad, I need your help. I I panicked and used my freezing abilities. Oh my god! Did anyone see you? Says dad. Um. So did you check out the stove? It's like. Bobby Drake lives with Ma and Pa Kettle here. They got like this wood-fired <laughs> cast iron stove with this big... Well, uh, did you hear the way that people were talking? They think it's all black magic and their names are Martha and George and... Yeah, but it's it's 1963, which is, you know, I mean, it's kind of old-fashioned, but it's not like frontier times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and Pa Drake there, he's got his tea and... Ma Drake is up there, like, cooking some stuff, because that's what you did in the 1800s. <laughs> it's literally like Bobby walked into the room, and he's like, oh, Little House in the Prairie. Has anybody seen Laura? And they have a calendar, which features a little child jumping on a stapler. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, that's, that's a very odd calendar. Anyhow. Um, yes, I was with Judy, and I think I froze Rocky Beasley. I think <laughs> a couple of her friends saw it too. And by, I think, I think, I mean, I know that I just murdered Rocky <laughs> Beasley. I didn't want to tell you dad. Hi, <laughs> uh, your son's a murderer. Yeah. But his father, he's like, he takes it in stride. He's like, then we have to get out of town before. But... I knew this day was coming. <laughs> but dad, surely people will understand. Rocky was trying to hurt Judy and, Dad continuing to take it as dry as like, you're about to learn how much they'll understand, son. I hear the people out front. He's very calm. He's not at all like the dad in X-Men 2, the movie. Yeah, that I know. Dad, I was mad too. The parents are completely different. Yeah, that dad was like, oh, can you try not being a mutant? This dad's like, it's cool. I get it. You know what? You're kind of a you're... Frankenstein and we're going to have to deal with it. But you know what? We're going to do this together as a family. So let's... You're our son and we love you. Let's pack our bags. Let's go. Unfortunately, they don't have any time to pack their bags because people are climbing up on the porch saying, like, get out of the way. We need to get that freak. Get out of the way, Drake. We got no beef with you. Maybe not, but anyone who wants to harm my son is going to have to do it. Go over me to do it. If that's how you want it, Drake, come on, man. Let's get that freak. I'd like to point out that in this issue, we never see Mr. Drake again. Because they kill him. Yeah. They literally rip him limb from limb to get from to Bobby Drake. Bob destroys him. <laughs> and uh, Bobby Drake is in there. Bobby, so Bobby's like 16. His mother looks like she's about 70. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, yeah, his, his father's in his 60s, too. I mean, I'm thinking like 1963. Didn't people used to have kids like a lot younger? So if he's 16 years old, then maybe his parents are probably like, 32 no probably 30 36 maybe they age differently but it, yes it's a marvel universe they age seven years for every one year that uh, never mind so anyways uh they say there he is grab him don't try any funny magic tricks they ain't going to save you even though you did freeze <laughs> rocky beasley into a lump of ice tricks ain't they, gonna, uh, tricks ain't gonna work on us he starts throwing a bunch of ice balls snowballs at, at them which you know snowballs 
It's not that big a deal. <laughs> yeah, but he's taking people out left and right with his snowballs. <laughs> he uh he freezes another person while he's all like, You all got a funny way of showing your beliefs in democracy. And in a man's right to a fair trial, well, look, Bobby Drake, you just use your powers to freeze two men into solid blocks of ice. I don't think any judge is going to look kindly upon that, <laughs> or or jury for that matter. So the mob finally tackles him, and we get this uh, this panel of two guys tackling him, and a third guy is just a face. We got him now, boys. He's very happy about that too. We got him. Yeah, this is the best day of my life. And within a matter of minutes, the mysterious teenager is hustled into a waiting car and rushed towards the nearby county jail. At this point, the following morning, a recognizable bald-headed professor is reading the newspaper. He's reading the Times Times. <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> it's the Times Times. Uh, he's reading it to Scott, and he says, uh, I think I found our next student. In the and Scott, who's like, yeah, I can read, old man. <laughs> I already read about that, old man. Shall I go after him? And Iceman sits in there. He's like, why am I worried? I'm entitled to a trial, and I know that I'm not guilty. Well, he's guilty of murder. He probably killed two people. I was just trying to help Judy. And they sure can't do anything to me just because I'm different from most people. Except for those two people I killed. <laughs> Can they? What the zapped? Next, enter Cyclops. So so all we know that happens is uh, possibly a bright light and a zapped. I'm guessing Cyclops just blew in the wall, which is going to no, make this... No, it can't be Cyclops because the caption before it says, however... Before the man called Professor X can answer, let us return to the Nassau County Jail. Oh, oh no. It, it does say several hours later. Yeah. I'm pretty Never sure. Mind. I'm pretty sure this zapped is Cyclops blowing through the county. Uh, You're budget. right. <laughs> so it is. I'll be interested to see how this story plays out. I mean, does this mean that Iceman has been a wanted fugitive this whole time? It's what it seems like. Because that would, that would put a whole new dynamic on this entire series. <laughs> I think, anyways. Uh, all right, there you go, folks. Uh, episode forty-five, issue forty-four in the in the can, as it were. We got another uh, comic writer in uh, the mutant mailbox this month. We did. The first letter is Keith Giffen, who um, is writer and artist of uh, DC repute. I believe he did a bunch of. Um, the 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 funny Justice League issues, and um, also did Lobo with Simon Bisley. He's in the letter section. Yep, he's he did the first letter. Okay. Should in we? Which, in which he talks about how uh, they should they should bring back all the villains, all the lame villains, for more appearances. He specifically cites lame villains like the Locust. And Radioactive Man, Jack Frost, and the Crimson Dynamo. Yeah. Pl yeah. Plant Man, Eel, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, this guy is a comics fan for comics fans of the 1960s. I mean, think about it. If you're a comics fan in the 1960s, aren't you kind of like, hey, what happened to all those 
villainous greats we used to have. Yeah, those awesome guys like Plant Man. <laughs> well, in the 1960s, Plant Man probably was like the villain. Like the... Dude, have you seen the porcupine? Oh my god. The guy's powers are off the hook. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I did not know who uh, Keith Giffen is. But it is, it is kind of cool to read some of these letters and see. I mean, this is at least the second, if not third... Uh, letter writer who has eventually broken through into uh, yeah, comic books. Carlos Pacheco. We, we weren't 100% certain whether or not it was the Carlos Pacheco. It has to be. And then we had Mark Evanier or Evan Evanier. Evanier. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but the, he writes Grew. The question, he works with Sergio Aragones. And the, now we have Keith Giffen. The question I have is why are we not writing these people and being like, hey, man. We're doing this podcast in which your guys' names keep coming up. Do you have any comments? <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of issue 44? Wasn't it stupid how Angel met the Red Raven? I thought so. Genius. <laughs> send, Pure genius. Please send Pure me, random weird genius. <laughs> please send me all the free comic book issues you receive. Yay. Uh, there you go, folks. Um, so yeah, visit us at our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast, uh, red www.redcatproductions.com forward slash danger room. And you can email us at danger room at redcatproductions.com. Visit us on our iTunes page, leave a comment, leave a five star rating and say, that's awesome. Or something like that. And, uh, you can follow us over at danger room. Go. Right? For the Twitter. For yep. the for the Twitters. For the tweets. As the kids say. And as a matter of fact, I'm about to tweet that we actually just recorded this episode. So if you see this tweet and then see the episode, well then you're in on something special. I don't know what, but you're in on it. Dude. Uh yeah, so anything else you wanna add, add to that, Adam? Uh nope. Oh. I had a good time with this issue, even though you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a quick read, and no, it was stupid. This issue was really bad. This issue was terrible, I, absolutely I just terrible. Like the total random, completely like having to do with nothing aspect of it. It was just good fun silliness. All right, folks, we'll have to agree to disagree. And on that note, no, I disagree. We're going to <laughs> agree to agree. I. And did you disagree <laughs> i disagree with that uh so then until next time folks uh the danger room is closed your face is closed <laughs> i'll close your face <laughs> <laughs>